All right, welcome to the first live broadcast video thing of Tigers SRD here on Motor City Bengals and, of course, at SportsRadioDetroit.com. I'm Rojado Castillo. Alongside me is Chris Brown, literally, right here to my left or right. I'm not sure how this whole view is going right now. How's it looking? Right now, you're to my left. Okay, so you're you're to my right right now. So so it's relatively – we're trying something out for the first time. We've been meaning to do this for a long time, but – I obviously I upgraded my gear, so I got a sure mic, one of these really good broadcasting mics, and we just wanted to make sure that the time and, and StreamYard and technology and all that stuff. So, but I think we worked out all the kinks and what have you. So, so this will be recorded for podcast purposes for tomorrow. But I just wanted to have a live element yeah. to it. So, if you can yeah, find- and if you've always wondered about the squeaks in the background, yeah, where's Charlie? <laughs> oh, there's Charlie. There's she. There she only she plays around nine o'clock at night for some reason. So. <laughs> she sees you on the mic. She's like, "All right, I gotta start talking." <laughs> yeah. I'll just sit here for now. But yeah, so yeah, so you, if you hear the squeaking, you wonder why that's coming from. Well, bam, there you go. That's what's mm-hmm. going on with that right now. So, um, but yeah, we're live right now, and you can check us out on Twitter and at YouTube channel. So if you're if you're hang on YouTube, go to the Tiger Mindly Report channel, and it's right there. So. We appreciate you coming in and checking us out. So coming up tonight on the show, we're going to be talking about the non-tender date that's come gone and what the Tigers did, which was a lot of nothing, but it's okay. We'll get to that in a little while. I, I think it's perfectly fine. We got some questions on social media. So Chris got, what we got, like nine or ten questions. One question that we will not discuss at all. <laughs> Unless you want to. No. Um, no. No. Um... Yeah, I, I think I, I saw like three or four. Maybe okay. you saw some more, that, but I, yeah, I, we got some questions. I don't know if we want to tackle those at the top of the show later, whenever we want to do it. But Okay, and I will look at, I'm going to look at the Twitter feed right now. I think we're going to have some questions on Twitter, too. You can stream us live, and if you want to chat with us, too, there is a chat section thing right here. So uh, I'll post that here in a second on Twitter, on our Twitter and you can go from there. So if you are checking us out there, just leave us a question, and Chris will be looking through our Periscope thing, which is, I think, for Twitter. So there you go. But at any rate, so we continue on, and we'll also be talking about the 1991 Tigers squad. But, yeah, there's some, there's some trades today that happened too, Chris. I want to get your opinion on as the Rockies continue to make some moves. It's the second trade they've made this offseason so far. Does that sound right? Uh, yeah, they made the one with the Reds for uh, their – former first rounder Jeff Hoffman for the Reds, uh, former a couple highly touted pitching prospects from like eight years ago, six years ago, uh, Robert Stevenson. Yeah. there's. I, I don't know. If I, I, I may have seen the one today, but I didn't think it was very big. Was it? It was just kind of a couple dudes. Yeah. It was just a couple. Yeah. It was a couple players and the minor league. There's a couple also a lot of first round draft picks were on non-tender too. So I want to talk about that. We'll, we'll get to that. The Spotify unwrapped. Did you get one, Chris? We'll, we'll talk about that too a little bit. I did. Uh, Matt Patricia's gone. We talked about him last week on the Thanksgiving special, so it was really weird that now he's gone. Him and Matt Bob Quinn rather are gone. And the Hall of Fame vote for the Internet Writers Baseball Association. I was on a chat with them on. They had a nice conference call on Tuesday, and we were talking baseball. But yeah, the 1991 Tigers. We're going to discuss that team. A lot of fans of, excuse me, that squad. There's a lot of power in that squad too, as well. So 
But yeah, let's let's look at the non-tender deadline. There was a lot of players, Chris, that went unclaimed, and, and uh, the Tigers had their opportunities. And but in some ways, if I think about it, I'm not surprised because this is a team. You know, the, the Tigers tend to wait till January, even sometimes February, to make moves. And throughout their history, the Maglio Dornia's signing was, I believe, on February third. Pudge was late in January, mm-hmm. so last year. They signed both players on the same day. Even with what was strange was to me was when they did the call up was all one day. So it's kind of weird how they've been doing it recently, which is fine. And I mean, I did want them to go after Eddie Rosario from the Twins, the left-handed left bat power hitter with some numbers. I mean, he's been the, the Twins have been reported to trade him last year. No one draw an interest, but I'm not surprised. But then, and then again, Chris, I know some of the names you suggested on your piece today, I like a lot. Dolls out there for the Rockies. We mentioned them earlier, but I don't. What was your whole thoughts of the whole deadline? Yeah, it's always kind of interesting to see how the industry's perception of value of these players compares to, like you know, our fans or or anybody who's just uh, you know cruising fan graphs and stuff looks at a guy's war and thinks, well, hey, they, they should go after him. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess David Dahl was the most surprising to me just because he's still young and he's not that expensive and was such a high prospect for the, the Rockies. But, uh, and Schwarber was a mild surprise, but we kind of knew that the Cubs were, they're tightening the belt now. I don't know. I, I guess it's just been strange because we've seen a couple teams spend some money early in the, in the free agency period. And so it looked like, Hey, maybe not everything was going to be too bad from the, you know, post COVID uh, revenue streams or whatever, but there are a lot of guys who just uh, lost their jobs because they were making too much money, uh, which is, you know, unfortunate. It's an unfortunate aspect of, of the way that contracts are structured in baseball. Yeah, and you see the you see the Phillies are losing money. There's the reports about that. And so, I, I don't know, Chris, I still think there's the aftermath of what teams potentially lost is still not out there. That probably has a, part of, a large part of it. Yeah, I mean, at least that's what they're going to be saying. Teams are going to say, I, 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 ha- I hate to be so dismissive or negative of them losing money. Obviously, they took a hit in their, their profit, uh, you know, their, their revenues uh, this year. But it's one of those things where people always point out, well, so that, yeah, did they give out extra money when they had a, a massive year? Not really. I mean, we saw that the prices were going down a couple of years ago anyway. Remember, I think the one, I don't know, it was two years ago or last year where the qualifying offer finally went down for the first time ever. So they're, they're, you know, the teams are doing price controls any way they can. And it does feel like a lot of what has happened uh, is less a reaction to COVID-19 and more a, uh, hey, we can do this because of COVID-19. You know, it, it's like, uh, they don't have to, but they are because they can. Just, you know, adding the adding the DH in both leagues and, and all the men on second and extra innings, all the stuff they wanted to try. They just figured they could do it this year because there's nothing to lose. Yeah, and you're, we, we've talked about that before, where they can in kind of, in a way, unleash the hound, if you will, for lack of a better word. But there is it. What I've been finding interesting too is in terms of some of the offers we've seen with pitchers too, with the one-year deals so far with Drew Smiley, South Charlie Morton will get 15 million. But the positional players been kind of rather relatively quiet. I mean, we saw today the Mets are interested in going after James McCann. Then the Yankees are interested also in. A, a, a guy who I would want the Tigers sign, Michael Brantley. So there's been rumors. There's been the James McCann stuff is, you know, high 
I'm Rogelio Castillo. <laughs> I got James McCann wrong. I freely admit that. That's fine. I mean, you and I have talked. Uh, the best of we talked about this was like four years yeah. ago. <laughs> you know, who knew? But the, well, yeah, he wasn't very good for the Tigers. He went to the White Sox and got better. You could give him credit. Uh, I don't know I don't, who was writing the. I think it was a, a MLB Pipeline article, not Pipeline, but the MLB article about how he actually got better with his framing. He wanted to, and he went and did it. And I'll give the guy credit. He he was always, you know, physically gifted, and people loved him for his arm. And he's, he's turned himself into a better hitter and a better defender, and he's going to get paid. And that, that's that's awesome. It's a bummer that didn't happen in Detroit. But, uh, you know, sometimes yeah. these things don't Yeah, he has a really good work ethic. And, and you have to credit the White Sox for recognizing that. And he, he went down there and did his thing. And I, I don't understand when sometimes people go on and, oh, I, I still don't like the guy. No, McCann worked his ass off and earned the money. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I didn't like about him was uh, it seemed like he had a southern accent, even though he's from California. But <laughs> but we know from David Cross that anybody can have that accent. Yeah, David Cross was dead on about that, and he uh, <laughs> he was. This is the first year he wasn't on my Spotify unwrap list. He was on my list for a while, oh. like like in terms of comedy specials and stuff like that. But no, and and the the thing is too about the Met. I mean, Steve Conan has done a really good job of rallying the Mets fans, and to me, that's refreshing. It's it's. It's awesome because, and this is a time of year where there's not a lot of news. You got the winter meetings are coming up, but it's virtual. So credit where credit's due for for on that aspect, that he was able to go. Hey, you know what, guys? I'm a fan just like you, and he was able, and all these Mets fans are really excited. And I'm not from New York. We're from the Midwest, but it's you see every day the Yankees and Mets are dominating the headline. And per normal, it's always kind of the way the offseason works. But in terms of other players that were non tendered. I know there was, there was the big surprise. Was there any big surprise that you were kind of like – we talked about Dahl. Was there anybody else that stood out to you? Well, I mean, I was a little surprised by Rosario, a little surprised by Schwarber. Um, Adam Duvall was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, I mean, you look at it and go, okay, I, I guess I understand. He's 32 or whatever. It doesn't do a whole lot other than home runs, but it seemed like Braves fans loved him. Um, let's see, Archie Bradley, a mild surprise there. I'm trying to think, uh, who was the – there was another a uh, uh, quality reliever for the Twins. They like, oh, Matt Whistler, is that it? Yeah, it was, was yeah, it was Whistler. Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably missing a, a player. Well, oh well, we, you know, I mean, it, it's not a shock that Carlos Rodon and Nomar Mazara were let go from from the White Sox. Those are big names. Uh, Mazara has never really lived up to his billing, and and Rodon could never get things going properly. You know, he, there would be times when he looked good but couldn't throw strikes, and times where he was throwing strikes but was getting hit, and then he keeps getting hurt. And, the barn but uh yeah i mean a couple shocking names but but nothing uh super like whoa i never saw that coming i mean the closest was doll i guess and even then i could see you know he's been injured a ton yeah there's you know there's a, there's a first baseman right now that's in the winter leagues in uh rango riverio who is playing i believe i think he's playing for the i think he's playing in, i can't remember what team he's playing for in the dominican republic but that was a name that for anybody who is a Cardinals fan, he was he could play all over. He was he's out of he's a first baseman, right fielder out of Cuba. He I mean he was just a kind of a part time player for the Cardinals. So there's that's a name out there for first. That, I don't know these are some of the names I'm thinking of is perhaps like at some point low end targets to Tigers. There's there's a list of names of Kurt Casanelli or Caselli, the catcher, Tony Wal- Walters, another light hitting catcher. There is Danny Santana, who we talked about last week on the podcast. Daniel Robertson, who we talked about this week. Uh, Franco, 
from the Royals kind of caught me off guard a little Franco, bit. Franco. Yeah. You know, he's another guy who's he's one of, I could see fitting the Tigers because of his, you know, we joke about uh, the Rosario thing about how, you know, he seems to fit the Tigers mold because he swings a ton. The Tigers like guys who attack the ball uh, and don't walk a lot and, and don't strike out a ton. Well, they don't mind the guys who strike out a ton, but, um, but Franco doesn't strike out a ton. He's just, he, he's another guy who's never quite, you know, he was like a top 50 prospect for the Phillies and never got really very good. He was kind of fringe average. And I think he had a solid year for the, the Royals. I don't know if it was this year or last year or when he, he got there, but uh, yeah, he's a, it's an option for them. I don't, I don't know if the Tigers going to pursue anybody at third base or first base. I would think one of those positions they will, and depending on which one determines where Candelario plays next year. Because I think they're going to have uh, Isak Paredes back in Toledo if possible. Well, I mean, he's – see, the thing is – Or second base, but second I, base, I don't think yeah. they'll play him at second base. Yeah, right now in the Mexican League, in the Winter Leagues right now, he's been playing third. He hasn't played second, which it's always that – always every time I write an article about a second baseman free agent, they're like, well, what about Paredes? Well, they haven't played him at second base yet. And he's not yeah. played there in the minors at all. He's either played short or third. Ideally, you want him at second, but the Tigers have their own plan, and that's that's fine, whatever they want to do. And he's shown a really good arm, and he's done really well in the Winter League so far. And so, I, I you know, if you're looking at possibilities at third base, too, or first base, rather, I mean, there's not even been that talk about having C.J. Crone back either. It's been kind of – it's been very quiet. It wouldn't shock me if they bring Crone back at all. It's – it's uh... Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's one of the other things is, is we tend to react immediately to the non-tender deadline or whatever, anything like this, where like, oh, they didn't do anything. Who knows what's going on behind the scenes? They're, they're, you know, some of these players could be negotiating with like six or seven different teams. The Tigers might be in on a couple of them. You really only saw a few moves, a couple trades prior to the non-tender deadline that the, the Dodgers made the trade for Corey Knable. And I'm trying to think of any other deals that were made. I, I, I don't think any other sort of substantial deals were made. I, I think one of the things the teams seem to be really, you mentioned that the pitchers are getting signed, but not position players so much. It really seems like teams are waiting to find out if there's going to be a universal DH. I think that might just be an excuse, though, because I'm pretty sure that they know there won't be next year because it's going to be a negotiation tool for the owners. Also. But maybe that's why teams are a little bit slow to, to target, like, you know, Marcelo Zuna or somebody like that who, who is a, an outfielder slash DH or Schwarber, if you will. But, yeah, I mean, I imagine we'll see some more moves in the next couple of days, and then things might uh, pick up a little bit around the, what, I don't know, if they're doing virtual winter meetings or whatever is going on. It's a bunch of Zoom calls, just like, and, like, just everything's freezing up. But, yeah, I, for the Tigers right now, I mean, if you look at some of the, the pitchers that were not not tendered, another one, too, Jose Arena, who's just, I mean, just a few years ago removed from a, a pretty start to a good career with the Marlins. And, I don't know, he's an intriguing arm, but his numbers are just otherwise. But, again, I mean, we're not also – it's something that Brandon Day mentioned in our chat. Like, we had a little chat about is Chris Fetter going to fix everything. He could fix everything. We joke around about it. He's, he's, not, he's not a miracle worker, but I think that – and your, your article, you're talking about pitching design. Anything, you know, you can always just kick around the Tigers for a pitcher, especially if you look at the Tigers starting rotation next year. They still have two pitchers to sign. They still have to sign two pitchers, too. And so the way the market's been going right now, it's been very aggressive towards starting arms. 
Yeah, and in some cases, uh, a lot more aggressive than I expected. Like, you know, Robbie Ray and Drew Smiley got much more money than I, I thought they would. Um, Charlie Morton maybe got less. I don't know, 15 million for one year is not bad at all, but I thought maybe he'd uh, push for more. Maybe he was just going to go through with a. I don't know. I, I also wonder if, if teams and players are just pushing for one year deals because they have no idea what's going to happen with the CBA next year. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, they, the, the starting pitchers and relievers, there weren't a ton of guys who really caught my eye. I, I mentioned Matt Whistler. Jonathan Holder was sort of interesting for the Yankees once upon a time. Uh, I mentioned Nick Tropiano. In, in a piece at Motor City Bengals, just uh, I just because I wanted one pitcher in there, and I was like, all right, well, this is the story that's sort of interesting. It's a guy who who never has done much, and then he went to the Pirates and just completely changed his pitch mix. He basically stopped throwing his fastball. Uh, I mean, he didn't stop, but he threw it 15% less and just started throwing a ton of splitters and sliders, and that seemed to work for him. And you know, my theory was that that teams are going to need a lot of innings next year, so they we might see them sign a few more of these kind of swingmen, long reliever, spot starter types this year. And I feel like he, he's a guy who could be interesting for the Tigers. But, yeah, I mean, who are the other starters? You, you wrote up about Trevor Williams getting DFA'd. Um, I, like, I, like his mix. I like his mix a lot because you look at what Pittsburgh's been doing. I mean, Pittsburgh has kind of changed their pitching philosophy, and I've been writing up some reports for Prospects Live, so their philosophy's changed a little bit, and Trevor kind of represents the old guard. He went yeah. away from his changeup. And he started throwing more of it, or excuse me, he started throwing less of his fastball, started with his slider and also he pitches more. He has a pretty good swing rate against his changeup. So I, I think there's something there for that, but I think he might go to a bigger market. Who knows? But I, I like him a lot. I think he would be, go ahead. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I think probably his biggest uh, bonus is that he's pretty durable. I think we talked, he, he hasn't really had, I think maybe he was on the, the IL once and it was just like a 10 day thing or whatever. Uh, so, and that's going to be really valuable this year is getting, because I'm still not convinced, or I'm not convinced that it's going to be a full 162 game season. I'm sure that, that, you know, everybody involved wants to do that, but just logistics of, of moving from pitchers who threw like at the most 75 innings this year, having them try to get up to 200 basically everybody having to add a hundred innings to their arms. It, it's even with, you know, all the training and stuff they do, that's going to end up in a lot of injuries, I think. And so I don't know if they're going to try to split the difference and do like 120 game season, hundred game season, something like that. But no matter what teams are going to need a lot more innings this year. So anybody who's, who's proven that they can give you innings without completely imploding, I think is going to be valuable. Yeah. I mean, even if you're going to see a guy possibly like a Foster Griffin who might get an opportunity because of how, and I, I am, I'm, saying, I'm saying this in a sense of they might kind of kick out the tires and see what's going on with them. the Royals. Wasn't he yeah. the dude who got hurt in his major league start or his debut? Uh, yes, I believe it was. So, oh, we got, we got some comments, by the way. We got some, I see we now. Do? Yeah, we do got some comments here. I didn't even see that. Look that duck. What? So, Dan, uh, Dan Hasty said he, he's a big fan of uh, Archie Griffin, by the way, for the win. And Archie Bradley? Yeah, Archie did Bradley. Did I say Archie yeah. Griffin? No, I said Archie Griffin. I did. <laughs> so, I, didn't, I didn't realize that there were comments over here. I'm sorry, everybody. No, but, but check it out, Chris. Look, I, I can show the comments on here. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Matthew listens to three times speed. <laughs> I, I do two times speed, three times speed. We, we want to sound like uh, chipmunks. Man. Yeah. Um. Here, well. Here's a doll right here from uh, comment from Joe. By the way, this is all new. So keep leaving the comments, and this is sweet. So yeah. Um, I, 
Yeah, so Joe here says, Y'all had a rough year, but most projects bounced back recently. Sweet. Ed Miller, big fan of the show. Thanks, Ed. We appreciate it. And we also, yeah, here's uh, the comment from Dan. Big fan. P.S. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Archie Bradley was a guy who, remember, he was a part of that that amazing uh, 2011 draft class, I think. Um, and he was a starter for a while with the Diamondbacks and then became a, a, a really damn good reliever. I, the last couple of years weren't as good as his first year as a reliever, I think. But he, he ended up on the Reds last year, I believe. Um, you know, it was such a strange year. But, yeah, I, I didn't put any – I guess Tropiano I put in there because I thought he could be a long reliever. I didn't put any sort of high leverage relievers because it just doesn't seem like a market that the Tigers need to get into right now. You know, right. does that make sense? Like, you don't need closers and setup. Man. I, everybody needs them, but it's – I don't know. seems like the Tigers have a lot more work to do than uh, before concerning themselves with the eighth and ninth innings. But – but I do like Archie Bradley, so if they want to do that, then go for it. You know, there's another arm, too. I like it's Anthony Bass, the former Wayne State. I wrote about him way earlier in the season. And Shoemaker's available. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to go, if you're going to go local talent and appeal to that regard, then absolutely. But, I, it, again, I think that if they're going to make – I think it might be the case where last year where they make all the moves at once and then they're done. And mm-hmm. I think that's might be, it might be the case. I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, it's just all speculation. <laughs> you know, th- my hat says this is my hair i can do that but, uh, i was a journalism major which is... oh yeah well i have six white michigan west or seven no seven west michigan white cap hats this is one of seven so i mean i'm not yeah, you know harrison was wearing his traverse city pit spitters shirt yesterday there you but, go uh, I don't have my Bunghammer shirt on me right now. I've got to do laundry. I got the Havana Cubans shirt on, which is a great product, by the way, from Ebbets Field. We're not sponsored, but I'm a big fan of that website. So if you're looking for a Christmas gift for that baseball fan, let us know. But Or just check out the website. Anyway, again, not sponsored, but just a fan of the site. I digress. But, yeah, there's – I mean, there's even – if, you, if you're going to address a rotation, I think that that's where they're going to start. But it, it just – it might seem to be where they, they all do it at one. The one. You know, there's one arm that I did like – that was out, and the Mets released him, which I found is the left-hander uh, Chase Shreve. Chase and Shreve. Shreve, yes. Yeah. Um, had some good numbers last year. Not, you know, n- no, his numbers seem fine. And I know right now with Soto back there, you, the Tigers are set on left-handed relievers, which is something that we don't say very often recently. So I think they're fine there, but I was just thought it was an arm. And then was it John Verberg? on Twitter mentioned a name that was released from the Royals. It was a former Astro prospect. And I'm drawing a blank on who that guy is at the moment, but um yeah, I'll have to... yeah, I don't I I I'm sure I looked over it all yesterday, but I didn't uh, it didn't stick out to me. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to see I can't remember the, the pitcher's name and I looked him up and he had, he was with the Astros around the time the whole regime was going on. So and well, had, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, that could make some sense if he's got some some history with AJ Hinch. Yeah, and I thought I was literally writing the Corey Newell piece, and then the Dodgers traded for him, and that was a brilliant move by the Dodgers. I mean, you look at the fact that Jansen struggled a little bit in the, in the postseason. He's got some miles in the arm. You get Newell fresh off Tommy John surgery. He's only he's what he only had a couple, well, less than a year on that arm. So, um, 
but yeah, I mean, it, to me, that makes a lot of sense. And the Dodgers will probably look at him and go, you know what? Move to the left right here, then <laughs> slide well, arm right here, and you'll be you'll you'll be good to go. Done. Well, that's one of the interesting things, you know. Uh, Mark Gorosh, uh tweeted today. I don't know if anybody responded to it. He found it interesting that the Dodgers went after Mabel instead of Archie Bradley. And I was thinking about it, and I, I think even though I just wrote that article, uh, the Dodgers were you know taking advantage of sinkers. I mean, that was more of an inference on my part. I, I don't know that for sure. Maybe they just threw a bunch of sinkers and were really good because Bruce Dark Gratterall and Dustin May could throw them at 100 miles an hour. But in uh, Archie Bradley's more of a like a, a low spend sinker guy. But I thought maybe just Knable fits more of the classic high high in the zone, four seam fastball, high spin curveball. You know, his breaking ball was really good. And at his best, I think he was better than Archie Bradley at his best. And in some regards, he kind of reminds me of. The Dodgers, I don't remember what round they got him in, but the the pitcher Clayton Beater, I think it was, that they took in this year's draft, who who had like kind of an over-the-top delivery and a big fastball and a big curveball. And it, yeah. I think the Dodgers feel like they can make some make something happen there for sure. They got it was a smart yeah. They got Beater in the second in the second round. Second round? Yeah. They got him in the second round of the draft. I thought you were talking about that one who was that the one that made their debut who came up from like twenty the one out of Oakland University or was it a local kid? That they got from here, or who was that guy that was like from the twenty third round that just came up out of nowhere? Oh, Zach McKinstry, yeah. the the kid from CMU. Yeah, CMU. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. No, that was that was all from that uh, twenty sixteen draft, which one, is probably one of ridiculous. the best drafts. Yeah, one of the best yeah. drafts they put together. So that was some that was some smart moves by the or smart move by the Dodgers rather to get a reliever like that, especially in a market where relievers in terms of free agent market has doesn't, eh, you know, doesn't look yeah. really promising. So. But in, as far as that, as far as in terms of other non-tender arms in there, there's there Tyler Anderson who's the left who's the lefty, but Giants didn't offer him back, and the, and the, the Giants are pretty could use some pitching and they didn't offer anything back. So that says something about mm-hmm. that. And uh, other than that, yeah, I mean the I mentioned the reliever earlier. Oh, Jose Martinez, which. Seems to me, Chris, it's, it seemed like he fell off a cliff. And I'm not saying literally, but just in terms of his numbers, production. Well, he literally fell off a cliff, and that makes him uh, <laughs> made him hard for to play baseball because he was in the air at the time. Um, no, yeah, he, he was a solid player, kind of role player for the Cardinals for a while, right? And yeah. Like strangely tall utility guy. And then yeah, he went to what was he with the Rays last year and just didn't do much. Oh, he was with the Cubs. And he was with originally Cubs. Okay, yeah, Cubs. Yep. Yeah. yeah, let me. You know what? This dog out real quick. So yeah, go ahead. People can. Anybody watching can look at my attempt at a memorabilia wall. Yeah. So yeah, the the art the art major is gonna let the dog out of here real quick. So. <laughs> but no, it in terms of other players, if there's any comments, guy. By the way, if you're if you're watching online, thank you. Any comments? Any questions for us? Just go ahead and leave them in the. If you're watching us on Twitter, if you're watching us on the YouTube channel, feel free to leave us a comment. And we're going to be talking about the 91 Tigers here in a few minutes. But Sorry yeah, about that. That's all right. So Charlie's uh, out. There's no squeaking. She did not squeak for the first time in a while. So. Well, he was whining and at the window. I to pee. So we'll see what happens. I'll probably have to go get him in a second. Yeah. Hold out there. He gets chilly. So in terms of even another player, I, I don't There's another the one mentioned. There was one more player I forgot to mention. And that was Brian Goodwin. I think I don't. Oh, yeah, that's another one too. That a little bit intriguing. Yeah, for sure. He was a uh, he was a guy who was around forever with the Nats, I think, and it seemed like he never was going to pop. And then he had a, a really 
think the Angels just picked him up for nothing. And a really nice season with him. And then this last year was with the Reds, I guess. But he's uh, you know, he's always been like a, an intriguing athlete, power and speed, can play center field. Um, you just don't know if, if 2019 was kind of just one of those lucky years. And because he didn't do a whole lot this year, but he's definitely a guy that, that I'd be intrigued in. I mean, Tigers need outfielders, and, and he's somebody I'd look at for sure. What about, uh, I don't know, did you talk about, I mean, in terms of Albert Amora's uh, special, I mean, what, what would be something about him? I mean, he's, Scott, he's represented by Scott Boris, so you know full well he's going to get an extra push a little bit. Well, he just changed his agent. Oh, did he? He was with Boris, he was with Boris and then he switched to, uh, I don't know, like some other. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing with Almora was was his calling card was defense. He was going to, coming out of the draft, he was the sixth overall pick in 2012, I think. And he, uh, yeah, he, he was all about defense with him, but it turned out that he wasn't one of those guys who was like super fast or anything like that. He just had some pretty good instincts. And none of his tools ever really developed. He, did, he doesn't hit for power. He doesn't steal bases. He doesn't hit for a great average. He just was kind of a solid defensive center fielder. And it's, you know, I mean, can you imagine that the Tigers had just cut two first rounders to save money? Um, I mean, they sometimes they hold on to their first rounders too long, but uh, hey, Jay Folger. Yeah. Folger? Yeah. That's a, you know, that's a, Solid comments. I mean, at some point, the Tigers might want to be working these these platoons. We talked a couple years ago about that. The Rays seem to have a platoon in every position. So Ed Miller wants to know if you can pick two non-tenders. Who do you got? I'll let you go first, Chris. Uh, we actually, yeah, we got another question sort of like that. I, for me, it's uh, I, I would take Dahl and Casale, Casale or Casale. Just uh, I know Casale's nothing special, but. Every time he plays in the last couple of years, he performs. He walks and he hits for power, and he's a decent enough catcher. And it would just, uh, you know, I mean, he's not uh, Andrew Romine, at least uh, considered as good a defender as Andrew Romine, but I think that was a little bit overblown, and he's a better offensive player. And he's never really had a chance to play a lot. I, I feel like it'd be nice to see him get out there. And, and Dolly, I mean, to me, Dahl is just like, it might not work out, but if it does, he's the sort of guy who could actually keep around and build around. I think I, I mentioned somebody asked a, earlier in the question, but he's four years, four months younger than Kristen Stewart. So, I mean, I don't think they're still planning on building on Kristen Stewart, but they're going to give him another shot. But I would rather give David Dahl a shot. Yeah. Uh, honestly, because I, 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 I have to go a little different here. I mean, I, I would, that, that's an easy choice. But I go Eddie Rosario because of his left-handed power, his numbers, his in terms of even. I know he's a high-swinging guy. He's the batting average against lefties and righties are the same, so you don't have to platoon him. I like Jock Peterson, which I know Tiger fans love Jock Peterson, and that's fine. But I like Eddie Rosario's upside a little better, and I mean he fits the Tigers' motif. Doesn't doesn't walk, strikes out decently. I mean he's not. But he makes hard contact, and you can put him left field, not worry. And he comes off two years removed from a 32 home run season, and combined in 2019, he had more home runs than all the Tigers left field combined. Same thing last year. Yeah, and he doesn't grade out as a, as a very good defender. I mean, he's sort of vacillates between average and, and below average. But he has a really good arm, and I I think he absolutely hosed a Tiger this year. I don't remember who it was. <laughs> Nate, but, uh, Nathan Kahn with my <laughs> no thank you, I'm nope. Peterson. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I take him because he's a major leaguer, but yeah. I, I get what he's saying. And, you know, we, we'd like 
more well-rounded players, I guess. But Peterson, you know, he'd be something to, to look at. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, they it's, again, no knock on Christian Stewart because we might get yelled at for that, but um, that's another story. You know, Christian Stewart is a nice dude. Yeah. I, I, I interviewed him right after he got, got up to West Michigan. Uh, I was able to interview him, and, and he's a really nice dude, and he – mashed in the uh, minor leagues, did exactly what you'd hope he'd do, and it just hasn't worked at the major league level. And I compared him. I said, basically, Kyle Schwarber is what the Tigers hoped Stewart would be. He walks, he hits home runs, he doesn't play very good defense, and he doesn't hit for much of an average. Stewart's defense is actually worse than Schwarber, Schwarber's, and he just hasn't hit for power. If he hit for power, there'd be something there. But uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to completely give up on him, but it, it, it's getting late early for Stewart. And then the other pitcher, or the other shooting, the other player, I would probably non-tender. And I, I debated about this for a little while. I know that Kellen on our on the staff over at Motor City Bengals is excited about Archie Bradley, and rightfully so. And he, his numbers kind of intrigue me a little bit. But if you're going to go maybe buy low, and a guy maybe like uh, just be a little different is AJ Cole from Toronto. Um, really? Just because I think for I mean I honestly would go would probably go with Bradley. No doubt, but the reason why I'm kind of choosing Cole here is that I think you can get him. He's a guy who he's not going to be a free agent until 2024. You could probably sign him relatively inexpensively, and it fits that kind of where the Tigers his strikeouts his strikeout numbers are not bad either. He had 10.4 strikeouts in relief, and he's a guy that fits that kind of swingman. Maybe you could go home like maybe give him 20 to 30 innings, and mm-hmm. maybe be like a middle good middle relief arm if the Tigers could just build this like do the opening starter thing. So if they decide to do something like that, I don't know. Cole's numbers are interesting, but I mean, more than likely I would, you know, um, yeah. And Matt Brung brings up a good point here that I'm going to show up here and that, you know, you're absolutely right. I, that's what I thought. That's why I thought Trevor Williams was going to be the easy go-to. I mean, that that's what they always do. They do. They love the pirates because they do. It's, it's, it's just a thing. I mean, it's, it's a thing. Well, who did the pirates cast off? I, I mean, that was, uh, Tropiano was the one guy I mentioned, but, but he actually got picked up by the Mets, I think. And then they, that was another thing that kind of intrigued me by him as I felt like he almost slipped through the cracks. Like the Mets saw something they liked and picked him up and then everybody got blown out. <laughs> They're like, all right, he's from the old guys, get rid of him. But uh, yeah, I mean, who else did the Pirates get rid of? Well, they got the Trevor Williams. I mean, we, we could look at uh, Chris Archer's out there. Maybe they'll sign him. Yeah, I mean, there and there's not been really anything reported about him at all. It's been, like I said, there's certain players that have been really quiet about and Archer is coming off was it third, third, I can never say the name of the surgery properly, but thoracic outlet surgery. Yeah, the out, the outlet surgery, and that's brutal. And I know Tiger fans like him, possibly as a closer and what have you. And even the idea of putting Michael Fulmer as Fulmer as a closer too, that was something that was brought up. I saw on Twitter a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, you know what? I will give credit to Keen. Keen's been on that train for a long time. Same with Harris as well. So. Mm-hmm. So if you're checking us out on Twitter and check us out on YouTube, although I don't think we have too many views on YouTube, which is fine. We don't really – it's the Tiger Minor League Report channel Channel we should promote more often. But anyway, but let's move. I haven't done anything. Yeah, I, I, we haven't done anything. We haven't done anything since Carfax, and that's been a, it's been a while now. So let's move on to the 1991 Tigers. And this – oh, it's a very painful surgery. Yeah, I don't I – don't, yeah. I don't want to imagine – yeah, it's just sound, it's sound well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it generally happens when it's like a repetitive stress injury or whatever, where you, your nerves, you, you know, your hands get all cold and, or I think, I don't remember who it was. It was Shane Green, who was like half his hand was warm and half his hand was cold. Um, 
yeah. or having to have surgery. Like, yeah, it's it's not a uh, a great great thing to have happen. I, and I don't know about the track record of guys coming back really well from it. I'm sure there are a couple have, but it seems like everyone I can remember hasn't done great after that. No, and look at the track record, and Chris. When I did that article on Archer, it's it's kind of really hit and miss. It's not like Tommy John where you see some velocity come back on the fastball, what have you. It's it's really hit and miss, and it hasn't been. There's more, not as many success stories as there've been per se in Tommy John surgery. So it's been a mixed bag. So let's move into the 1991 Detroit Tigers conversation, and I, I a lot of people on Twitter were pretty excited about this. We'll get the questions afterwards. And this off-season mode, we tend to go around about different subjects. We got we could talk about talk about Thanksgiving last week, Matt Patricia firing, what have you. But we started a team series last year, so we started looking at World Series teams that won like the '86 Mets. We did. We also did the '98 Padres, which lost to the Yankees behind the Kevin Brown's monster season, 1990, mm-hmm. 1998, which just phenomenal. But we're gonna start. The, we're gonna focus more on the Tigers because obviously we're a Tigers podcast. And the 1991 Tigers, and for me, Chris, this is a team. Before we'll get to hitting all that, this is a team that this is when I started really. Not that I didn't pay attention to the '87 Tigers. I was obviously six years old, or yeah. six or seven years old, and the '91 Tigers were a team that just was my third year little league, and I started really getting, I started paying attention to stats. I read the Detroit News every day, and I started like clipping out box scores, and I started paying attention and watching this team. It was a fun team to watch because they had so much power, and this is an era where. The home runs were starting to creep up around, I think, 1986, where you saw that whole parameter of the home runs. 87 was the, was the so-called yeah. rabbit ball year. That's right. And that's when the Tigers, I believe, the Tigers led the league in home runs or something. I think they were second, top three in home runs in 1987. Behind Darrell Evans, they had Alan Trammell had a monster year as well. Mm-hmm. And this is the first, I mean, this is 1991 team, Chris. This is a team in transition, and, and it really is in a sense because this is the first year without Jack Morris. So you yeah. settle with the poor man's Jack Morris, and I mean poor man's in, in quotations, and Bill Gullickson, who they sign from the Astros, and he's a National League guy. And you're going to be covering the hitter. I'm going to cover the pitching. But just a little more about this 1991 squad. They, in terms of, it's weird to think that now you look at the farm. I, I always like looking at their top prospects farm system. I'm fascinated at mm-hmm. looking at a snapshot of the Tigers' history at this point. And your affiliates at this time with Mud Hens which is, you know, that's cool, normal. It's still what it is now. But your double-A affiliate is the London Tigers, and that's the London, Ontario Tigers. And that's just a couple hours away up on the 401K and right up here in Ontario, which is pretty cool. So they, I've been trying to find a London Tigers hat for the longest period of time. Can, no luck. So anybody out there who's watching or listening, let me know. The Gene Roof, by the way, who managed that team, who just retired by the Tigers, Mm-hmm. Was the manager of that team? The Lakeland Tigers, of course. The Thayet Generals, which made an appearance in Bull Durham. So if you're paying attention, when he Russell Larue is pitching to a team, he's pitching to a Tigers affiliate. So pay attention to that. The Niagara Falls Rapids, which would be the equivalency of West Michigan at that point in the New York Penn League, which is going away or it's changing. They're the Wooden Bat League now, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, five of the teams from the New York Penn League have splintered off into a kind of MLB draft league, would bet league for guys to increase their draft stock or whatever. Okay. And then the the rookie league team 
is the Bristol Tigers, which is now at, which was in the Appalachian League, which is I think going away or also changing. Same sort of thing as the yeah, New York Family. They're, they're sort of the the college short season summer leagues, or whatever. Yeah, and that was for the the Pirates rookie team for a long time. The only reason why I know that's because, of, like I said, I've been writing up Pirate reports the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks. So, but in terms of the top prospect for the Tigers at the time, Rico Bronia. So if you're familiar with Rico Bronia, Tony Clark was in his way, Chris. Yeah. Um, oh, here's the here's the question. Was 1991 in the Love Fest era or was that in the 80s? That's definitely in the 80s. At that point, sure, yeah. yeah, that was that was 80, I want to say 86. That sounds about right. 86, 87. Yeah, he was, I think, 86, 87. But he was the, that was a Spark Anderson famous comment, him and another yeah. player. That's right. You know, I, I consider 91 almost sort of like the dead cat bounce year for the, the bless you boys era Tigers. I mean, most of them were gone, but you still had Tram. You still had Lou. You still had Dave Bergman and um, Dan Petrie and Walt Terrell had come back. It was kind of like, but this was really a, the core of this team was new guys that had come in. Um, and they, they were the first, like it was the Tigers had that, that nice run in 87 and then 89, it was a disaster and 90 was, the Cecil Fielder year, but 91, they were actually competitive again. It was nice to see. And that, like you said, it was a super fun team to watch. Yeah. And here's the thing too, in terms of management too, this is not, this is, it has the fingerprints of Bill LaJoy all over it, but Joe McDonald. Noakes, Noakes was already gone. I think. Yeah. Noakes was gone at this point, but he, one of the last. He was the 87 guy. Yeah, it was 87 guy. One of the things he orchestrated was the trade for Mickey Telton. And then Joe McDonald, who was in the front office for the Cardinals, in 82, and I believe he was part of the Mets front office as well. He takes over, and there was an article. I felt bad for his ass. <laughs> I'll show you what he said. I felt bad for his ass. <laughs> I think he's referring to <laughs> for, for Matt Noakes? Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, Matt Noakes had some gnarly. It's funny. You know, I don't think I, I – I don't know if I knew what acne was at that point. <laughs> and this is a team who, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll start with hitting here. This is a team that – Traditionally, we you're I don't know about you, but I remember the Tigers throughout my youth into my teenage years always started slow, always started slow, and they were a team that just could not get going in April and May and June. But let's let's talk about the offense first, Chris, and, and I sent you a link okay. too about the what happened on May first, nineteen ninety one. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, Nolan Ryan, the Nolan Ryan thing. Oh, that was the Nolan Ryan thing. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So yeah, ninety one was that was the was it against the A's. Or the Blue Jays, I don't remember. Ninety-one was like the year of the, the no hitter too. There were like seven no hitters that year. I was deep into collecting baseball cards that year. That's all I remember. Um, but yeah, the, like it's funny. This this the ninety-one Tigers team was either, depending on like your perspective, they were either like a classic Earl Weaver team or a Moneyball team that showed up too early. They led the majors in home runs by like thirty-two. Nobody they had two hundred seven home runs or something like that. Nobody was even close. They also led the majors in walk rate and strikeout rate. He was three two outcomes team, but you'd think with a team like that, it'd be a bunch of uh, mashers, and they kind of were. They were like, you know, my memories uh, of them are kind of as like a softball team, but uh, they also played pretty good defense. And they, it was honestly one of the best Detroit Tigers offenses of all time. They had, let's see, four dudes, three dudes who had at least five war. The baseball reference four who had four war and seven who had three war that year and uh 
You want to guess who the last Tiger who put up three war for the, according to baseball reference, this Tiger hitter? In terms of Tiger hitters yeah. for three war? Yeah. Tony Phillips? What? No, the last one. Uh, oh, oh, recently. Um, yeah. I want to say Polanco? Justin Upton, 2017. Oh, okay. So they, they, they haven't had, and to get seven guys with three war, you have to go back to 2015, basically, if you count all of them. So this one team had seven guys. Their entire lineup was basically three war. Um, and, you know, in the past, they kind of did it by how the team was built, like beginning at first. But this time I just decided to pick the guys who had the, the highest war, the best players. And number one was Sweet Lou Whitaker, which is which is kind of uh, apropos because he was also the first one. He, he came in 1975 and the fifth round of that draft. Um, round after Jason Thompson, I believe. Um, and, and we should mention that uh, it was a Dylan, Dylan Stojanovic or Stojanovic. Dylan. Uh, he asked if it was possible for us to to – He's a younger fan, which is nice. I didn't know we had young people watching us or listening to us. So he's been a fan since 2012. If we could put some modern day comparisons to these these guys, and that that was actually uh, like a fun thing for me. So I appreciate Dylan for asking that. But uh, that was very good. But yeah, with Whitaker, I mean, he, he was 34 years old in 1930 or 1931, 1991, and it was his best year ever by WAR, which is just kind of crazy. He hit 279 with 23 homers, 90 walks, and 45 strikeouts. That's insane. <laughs> While playing above average defense at second base, so, like the best comparison I can come up with was like Joey Votto, but a good defensive second baseman. Like Lou Whitaker, I don't think we really realized how good he was at the time. Everybody loved him. I mean, he hit a home run or did anything. People screamed Lou when he came to the plate. But yeah, he was a monster that year and uh, serves me in the Hall of Fame. But the, uh, the number two player was new to the Tigers that year. Number two in war was Mickey Tettleton, who uh, 5.6 war that year. It was his first year with the Tigers. He uh, he came from the Orioles, right? That, that they traded him for Jeff Robinson. Yeah, that was the last trade that Bill LaJoy did before he, he left. Yeah. So. And it was interesting because Tettleton was like a, drafted by the, the A's, and he kind of just – split time there for the first four or five seasons of his career didn't do a whole lot and then i believe he was let go by the A's and he signed with the orioles and he had a pretty couple pretty good years including i think he was an all-star in 87 That's but then great. you know he gets t- traded to the tigers and he just explodes and uh what he hit in, in uh 263 with 31 homers 101 walks and 131 strikeouts while playing solid defense at, at, as a catcher as a switch hitting catcher, the the best modern comparison I could come up with is probably Yasmani Grandal. As a you know, Grandal did that once. Telton did it like four times, um, but Telton was way cooler. Um, in in a sort of, I don't know how to describe it. Just like a country way, just always had that massive chaw in his cheek. I can't even do it. It was like it was like he had like an everlasting gobstopper in his mouth or something like that. And uh, he had the super iconic batting stance that was, you know, every kid who, who watched him play back then can, can emulate it. He was like this very, yeah, but he was an awesome player. Like he would be, he would get MVP votes uh, if he were a modern player. He was really good. Um, and then uh, the third best player on the team was Tony Phillips, another former Oakland A and another guy who I, I think this was his second year with the Tigers, right? 91, I think he came in 90. 
Um, he, yeah, he was a former first rounder out of the New Mexico Military Institute. I don't know if that still exists. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he was uh, drafted by the Expos and then traded to the Padres and traded to the A's. And he he was just kind of a, a do everything guy. He played all over the infield mostly for the A's, including it started out at shortstop, but then mostly second base and third base. And he had a couple good years, but really never stood out. And then he came to the Tigers and he sort of transformed himself. And he became this guy who just walked a ton. And it was just just a perfect leadoff hitter and was incredibly uh, versatile. So when he came to the Tigers in 90, he, he mostly played third base. And he, you know, with 99 walks and 85 strikeouts. And then in 91, he hit 284 with the, uh, what was then a career high, 17 homers, 10 steals and 79 walks. He was just, like I said, a, a do-everything guy. And he played... Every position, basically, but first baseman and catcher. Yeah. He had uh, nine games at six different positions. And uh, he was another guy with a fun stance. He would just crouch way down. He was also switching over, wasn't he? Yeah, he, sw- yeah, he kind of yeah. like did that hunch. Because my brother, mm-hmm. was number, his first number was number four because of Tony Phillips. And so he was – he kind of did a bat wiggle, too. And so – Yeah, and as, as a kid, they, you know, they called him Tony the Tiger. And it was like, well, this is fantastic. I like Frosted Flakes, and I go to Kellogg's, and all that good stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you've got you got a super utility guy, you got a catcher, you got a second baseman, and then the, the number four player in WAR, which was kind of surprising to me, was Milk Kyler. Uh, who, <laughs> you know, what's interesting is I remember really liking Milk Kyler because he was super fast. He came up a little bit in 1990, but 91 was basically he, be, he was the starting center fielder, and he. You know, he hit like 260 with a fair amount of walks, but he stole 40-something bases, and he played plus defense in center field. And it's it's kind of hard to find a comparison like that to a player like that in, in modern baseball, a guy who just gets all his value from defense and speed. Um, I thought maybe like a Rajay Davis, although Rajay was never that great of a defender. That's funny. No, Kyler, I mean, yeah, and uh, – but what's funny is he never played another 100-game season after that. I mean, he was a four-win player that year, and then just never played much again. So it was just kind of this, this weird anomaly that year. But I remember liking him a lot because he was so fast. Uh, and I guess I didn't compare Tony Phillips to anybody, did I? I would compare Tony Phillips to, I mean, in terms of versatility to the modern game right now, in terms of – I'm trying to think of, like, a player that would be, like, a utility – like a – jackknife of trading i i can't i couldn't think of any off the top of my head i think he was a little bit like like ben zobrist i guess he was ben zobrist was like, like a lot taller and probably hit for a little bit more power that's a good comparison but but like they were basically second baseman by trade but could play everywhere and did everything and walk he walked a ton he hit for average hit for some power slow bases so i mean i don't even know if ben zobrist might have been fast as peak by 2012 but uh, you know it, it's tough to find perfect one-on-one comparisons so after after those guys, you got you got up the middle. It's second base, catcher, center field. The uh, the one after that, big Cess, Cecil Fielder, three point eight WAR. There he is. Uh, it's really hard to kind of capture how huge Cecil Fielder was, how big that was for, in, especially in Detroit, but really in baseball. Um, you you could make the obvious comp to his son Prince, but Cecil Fielder was like four inches taller than Prince Fielder. He was just yeah, big daddy. He was massive. He had just the biggest thighs and ass you've ever seen in your life. Like, <laughs> literally, he's like his base. He looked like a sumo wrestler. It was it was like the like a like a Volkswagen, um, <laughs> and uh, 
he and he just crushed the ball. Like when he hit home runs, it was there was just never any doubt. He put him on the roof uh, consistently. The the closest comps I could come up with with today were maybe like rookie Aaron Judge when he was hitting you know 57, 52 home runs or whatever, combined with JD Martinez because he came from nowhere. Fielder was. Filler was a, a high draft pick. I didn't hear that. What was that? Oh, that's uh, one of the best lines of all time. Uh, here, here it is. Fairly uncomfortable. More like the back of a Volkswagen. No. Nope. Mall rats. The Volkswagen <laughs> line. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. But, but yeah, so like this dude showed up from out of nowhere and hit 51 home runs in 1990. Um, and it, and it, that's another thing that's hard to explain to people how rare that was. That was. I think the 18th time, 17th time in, in baseball history that someone had hit 50 home runs. And it was the first time since George Foster did it in 77 or 78. He was the first AL player to hit 50 home runs since Roger Maris in 1961. I mean, it's done, it's been done like 30 times since then, but that was huge. Um, but this was the year after that, obviously, uh, you know, Fielder had been a, a, I don't know if he was a first rounder or second rounder, but he never really got full playing time with, with the Blue Jays. He went off to Japan for a year and hit 300 with 38 home runs, and they called him the Wild Bear or something like that. And he came back, yeah, and, and led the league in home runs and RBIs and finished second in the MVP vote. And then he did the same thing in uh, 1991. 44 home runs, 133 RBIs, 132 RBIs, I think. Um, 33, 28 walks for good measure. And once again, he, he finished second in the MVP voting. But uh, I don't know who he lost to in 91. Who would that have been? Ricky Henderson? Was that Ricky? Yeah, Ricky Henderson. <laughs> I think that was the Ricky Henderson here. And 33 steal. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got a lot of home runs already, and we're only through five players. Then the, then the, the their sixth best player, sixth three-win player, was Alan Trammell, Hall of Famer, who uh, obviously another Tiger lifer. This was kind of his last. He had one other solid year, but he was really breaking down by this point. And, of course, he was taken in the second round of that legendary 76 Tigers draft, which – you know, may eventually be rivaled by the, the Dodgers 2016 draft, but it, I think it stands up pretty well on its own right now. But yeah, in 91, he was 33, only played 100 games, but he, he hit 250 with nine homers and 11 steals while playing good defense at shortstop. It's, he's another one who's kind of hard to make a comp to because he never had, you mentioned that 87 season, which was great, but he never put up huge counting stats. Like he was never big a home run guy or stolen base guy. He just did everything really well. Um, it was a little bit like, uh, a little bit like Francisco Lindor, maybe. That's a good. That's maybe a good, not, good not quite as an elite a defender, and, and never hit thirty home runs like Lindor has. But I think the game has changed. Trammell would probably hit thirty home runs now. Maybe like a Lindor and Carlos Correa or something like that. Like really good, but uh, you know, not quite MVP level. By the way, we have a question here. Did anyone hit blast like Tiger's name like Big Daddy? And the only person I could think of in that period of time, probably from 91 and 96, I watched a lot of baseball, a lot of, I mean, it was just some, Rob Deere, when he got a hold of one, could really blast one. Rob Deere comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah, Eric Davis. Well, I mean, Eric Davis had a couple, I don't know if he had legendary blasts, but Eric Davis had some good power too. Well, from a visitor, I think, you know, Mark McGuire hit one under the roof oh, yeah. once, I think. But, uh, no, I mean, his fielder did that with regularity. He just just absolutely crushed the ball. It, it, I don't know. He was like a caveman swinging a bat. He was just massive. But, yeah, I mean, that, that's it was just so much fun, man. It, it, he was 
like appointment viewing. You, you had to catch every uh, Cecil Fielder at bat because he might destroy the ball. So, And uh, yeah, the, the final three-win player for the Tigers was Travis Fryman in his first full season. So he was a rookie in 90. He was their first-round pick in 87 out of high school in Florida. And he was kind of, you know, billed as the second coming of Trammell. And he did. He, he played some shortstop, played mostly third base in uh, 90, 91. And he, he was a good all-around player. He was really really lengthened that lineup. He was kind of like a classic doubles hitter, I would say. He didn't walk a ton like the rest of the team, but, you know, 260 with 21 home runs and 36 doubles in his first full season. Um, I mean, that's that's a lineup that goes seven deep with really good players, and that doesn't even bring in the other guys that made them ridiculous. You mentioned Rob Deere. Rob Deere, had, I think that was his first year with the Tigers, and he was kind of a prototype of today's hitter, too, in like the three-true outcome guy. He had uh, 259 with 21 home runs. Oh, I'm sorry, that was Fryman. He had uh, 25 home runs, 89 walks, but also league leading 175 strikeouts. We used to make fun of Rob Deere for people who, uh, who uh, you know, in, in wiffle ball, if you swung uh, struck out swinging, we call you <laughs> Rob Deere. I think Nate's. I think Nathan's right. I think that, I remember he hit. There's a there's a week where Talton was on fire. So I'll have to we'll have to double check that Nate. Uh, yeah. Nathan, by the way. So. The lefties were able to hit the roof a, a lot more frequently than righties at, at Tiger Stadium, as I recall. You know, the famous like Mickey Mantle hit one to the lumberyard or whatever. Uh, I don't know why that was. I assume it was just closer. But uh, but yeah, I mean that sounds vaguely familiar. It's probably there's probably somewhere on on YouTube. But uh, yeah, I, I think the righties didn't do it nearly as often. Skeeter, Skeeter Barnes. Barnes. Skeeter oh. Barnes. I mean, he wasn't much of a war player, Chris, but he had a sweet name. But he also represented a. You look at his numbers now, 289. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a utility player, 289. He had OPS of over 800 and the OPS plus of 121. I take yep. that. I take that right now. No, absolutely. I mean, that was, like I said, this was a deep, good offense. They had Lloyd Mosby. I'd forgotten about that. Former, uh, I think he was a former Blue Jay yeah, at that point. Yeah, because Spark, Sparky loved former Blue Jays. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier how how they kind of felt a little bit like a. In retrospect, they felt like a softball team. The guy who made them feel like a softball team was Pete Incavilia, I think, to me. <laughs> yeah, he he was a negative one more player. He was Rob Deere without the walks, basically. You one might... of the most legendary college hitters of all time. I think he hit like 450 with like 50 home runs one year or something stupid like that. You might you know you might be Matt Stairs. Matt, yeah, that's a good cop for sure. Um, because I mean, that's kind of what he was built like, and he was just an all or nothing swinger. Um, <laughs> that's probably true. It's big unit. It was, I remember he had the McGuire home run against uh Randy Johnson, too, but but yeah, I mean, that that I mean, like I mentioned, Dave Bergman was still on that team. They just they had a deep offense, walked a ton, and hit a ton of home runs, and it was super fun to watch. I, I can't tell you how many times I remember watching on the game seeing. Uh, Tony Phillips and Lou Whitaker lead off the game with walks, and then either Cecil Fielder, or Mickey Tattleton, or Rob Deere hit a three-run homer. It was just, it was like, and they just jump out to these big leads, and then the pitching staff I would give it right back. Yeah, and uh, the one thing about this the offense too, which was, uh, we'll get to the pitching here in a second, and this is the almost the it's strange to think now, and this doesn't apply to modern baseball because you don't see it. Sparky carried three catchers. That was common in that period of time. He carried three catchers. To me. You think about it now, you're like, holy crap, three catchers? And at one point, they had, it was Mickey Talton, who was the starting catcher, and then he platooned him with Andy Ellerson and Mark Salas, or Mark Salas, who was part of the collusion case in 1986, 
I mean, it's it's strange to me that they had to think about this as, well, do we carry another pitcher? No, no, we gotta have three catchers. Three catchers. I mean, well, I mean, Tettleton was such a good hitter for them, such a good offensive player that that they obviously wanted to. But I, I he must have caught like 130 games. He caught 191. He caught 125. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so. I mean, you didn't want to take him out of the lineup, but yeah, you wouldn't think you'd need two extra catchers to cover those other 40 games, but uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. So, in terms of the pitching staff, here's some stats for you for the 1991 Tigers pitching staff, and this is ironic. I'm going to grab the dog, but you go, go for it. So, what's interesting is, if you look at the Tigers this year, they were among the near the league bottom in strikeouts, and it was the same case in 1991. So this, and also this is strange too to think about it now because this doesn't apply to modern baseball whatsoever. It was a four-man rotation. That's it. Four-man rotation, and that rotation consisted of Bill Gullickson, who I mentioned earlier, who they got from Montreal, Walt Terrell, Terrell who came over from the Howard Johnson trade originally in 1984, and he was back there. Frank Tanana, who they signed from free agency, and Scott Eldred, among mm-hmm. all these other names that got in there too. Mark Leiter. Al Leiter's brother was also made some spot starts too. And his nephew, who's going to be a highly regarded pitching prospect coming out of Vanderbilt for the 2021 draft. And it was the bullpen consisted of Mike Henneman, who went down early in August. And I think kind of that's why the Tigers finished under 500 a little bit in September. They, they kind of struggled down the church because Mike Henneman was their best pitcher. 288 ERA. He was 10 and 2. Strange to think that. And he had 21 saves. But he wasn't really – I never considered Mike Henneman – you think of closers. You think of, you know, Mario Rivera. You think of even Trevor Hoffman, for example. Mike Henneman, to me, was I – mean, I mean, he led the team in saves all the – he was always – he was considered the closer. But for whatever reason, he never came – he never – you know, he was always two or three innings because Sparky always had to go to him and bail him out mm-hmm. all the time. So, to me, he always seemed like that, just kind of a, like a swingman reliever, one of those last ones from that era – Mark Leiter, who I mentioned earlier, was out of the bullpen. Another guy who pitched in 68 games as a lefty was Paul Gibson. And I remember him because he had the glasses and also remember mm-hmm. his, uh, you know, him going to the Yankees eventually. Another former Blue Jay, rest in peace, John Cerruti, who was also who worked for the Blue Jays broadcasting team. And Jerry Don Gleaton, that three name, you and I always talk about three <laughs> the three names, you know. And so yeah. Jerry Don Gleaton. Um, and then Dan Petrie, who came back. Was the same guy, and the rest of the bullpen was kind of like a mixed bunch of, let's see what they could do or pitchers that kind of made appearances. The Tigers were really high on Steve Searcy, who they drafted out of Tennessee. There's an award, by the way, named after him at the University of Tennessee, the Steve Searcy Award. So that's mm-hmm. an indication of how good he was in college. Kevin Ritz, who ended up being part of the Rockies expansion draft, that was a guy who the Tigers were among Tiger prospects heads, if you guys remember that. And then Rusty Meacham. He did, he did better elsewhere. He was better in the Royals bullpen a little later in his career. But the the name, it was just, this this bullpen was bad. This the staff was bad. So I mentioned it just, they finished 24th in ERA overall at 4.91. And yes, Joe, you're absolutely right. I think, I think he is second or third. Mike Henneman is. But I was meant that he wasn't, he wasn't, I, I guess he wasn't like that big lights out closer everybody thinks of. Like when Valverde ran off the save streak, for example, that was one inning, maybe he never went one or more two innings tops, I don't believe. So anyway, uh so the bullpen was spotting a four point six year ERA. They're dead last in strikeouts at seven point or seven hundred and thirty nine. 
And a team, there, this was 24 teams at the time. The next closest was 100, 135 more than they did. So that's how bad, the, in terms of striking out pitchers, they were, or hitters. The starters had 436 while the bullpen had th- uh, 303. And maybe that's where I think of, because Mike Hanneman wasn't a big K guy. He could get, he could pitch to contact. And, of course, this is a different era. You pitch to contact then. There's no – you mentioned earlier all the mashing, Chris. The average fastball was 88, 89 miles an hour at this time. So if you're doing yeah. a comparison now, the, the, to answer the listener's question, fastballs were not what they are now. You don't, you'll see that kind of movement. You'll see the sharpness. You don't see the kind of breakage you saw then that you do now. So no, It's you can't a different game. And, yes, he was right. Hanneman is second all-time in, in saves for Tigers pitchers with 154. Okay. Behind Todd Jones at 235. Thank you, Joe. That's a good call there. Three other guys have 100. Todd Jones and uh, John Hiller, right? John oh, Hiller, right? Hiller, Willie Hernandez, and Valverde all had 100. Perfect. Awesome. So, by the way, if you guys have a trivia question, because I'm not looking at anything, you can look at my screen right here. I am not. I'm just looking at notes right here. Oh, my monitor went crap. Oh, crap. One out. Damn it. <laughs> now my, that's my, the my, oldest my, trick oldest trick in the yeah, book. Damn it. My monitor went out. Live streaming, look at my monitor, and then, yeah. Well, crapped out. Uh, Oh, boy. Well, that'll be fine. Oh, there it goes. It fixed. So, anyway. So, see. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, the, the the bullpen in there in terms of what they were doing. But the, the, the pitching staff was led by Bill Gullickson, who won 20 games, who was the last 20-game winner until Verlander in 06? No, no, no. 2011. 2011. Yeah, he was, a, he was next. Yeah, well, I was thinking, I don't know why I thought 06. But Gullickson won 20 games on the strength of 220. 226 innings and 91 strikeouts. Another example of pitching to contact. This is a different era. He allowed 256 hits. So imagine <laughs> that. Imagine that pulling that crap down. You can't. Well, yeah, I know. But remember, but I mean, they did have a pretty good defense. But that was, yeah, it was just a different era, man. You yeah. didn't, uh, that's what kind of what made people laugh about somebody like Rob Deere striking out 175 times when you got other people. Lou Whitaker struck out 45 times. I mean, you look at it, you look at K numbers, K per nine for Bill Gullickson, three point six. Well, yeah. <laughs> Walt Terrell, three point three. Frank Tanana was a. I mean, this is and, and this is Frank Tanana, vintage Frank Tanana. That opening day, nineteen ninety one. I remember this game because I watched. It was one of the first times I watched a thorough ass kicking, and this is the opening. This is let's see here. Yep, this is the opening at Comiskey Park. Thursday, April 18th. But I remember watching this game on TV. They won 16 to nothing. And I remember Frank Tanana throwing in that game. He threw a complete game, seven innings, or excuse me, seven hits, three strikeouts. And I remember it was Black, it was Jack McDowell. And I'm like, oh, this guy's going to suck. Little that I know. But, yeah. They, did he yeah. win the Soyan that year? Uh, you know what? I don't know. Let me see if he did or not. I think. No, no. It was. No, that was the year Scott Erickson won, I believe. Remember. Yeah. <laughs> young, well, remember when wind, yeah, remember when the wins used to matter? Scott Erickson. That's all that mattered when I was and, and not not just wins, um win percentage. Ooh. If if you had twenty wins but ten losses, you weren't getting the Cy Young. And the reason why I remember that game too is that I think that was the the year the White Sox debuted the black and white uniforms, which were Yeah. The be- I mean they they had some of the best uniforms. And I got So yeah, McDowell was Cy Young in ninety three. Sorry. Ninety three. Okay. Uh, the Tigers scored 16 runs on 19 hits against them. And I remember Tony Phillips having a huge day. But I remember I, the reason why I remember that game is because I remember it was one of the like it was it was Frank Tana just tossing it up there and the White Sox just looked off. And this is opening day in their new stadium. 
We're moving away from the old Comiskey, and they got their asses kicked. So, but it was a that was in terms of the that's what the example of the offense, Chris, doing its thing. But it was the pitching where it, it, the, the the pitching was just they allowed 794 runs. So they 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 scored 817. They almost allowed almost 800 runs. And this is a team that you just it was a theme of the Tigers throughout the next couple of years here. We'll get to because the 94 93 teams are intriguing to me because this is the last gasp for Sparky Anderson in terms of getting a winner and the 94 strike happened. But here's how bad the staff was. I mean, you had here you are with they were kind of handcuffed with free agency. And I remember writing an article about what Joe McDonald, they couldn't spend any money. Bill, I mean, at this point, Tom Anahan, the team's former owner, wasn't spending any money, and he was trying to save as much as they can, and they're trying to get bargain bins, and they didn't really make any moves to get themselves better. And here's an indication of how the schedule was in 1991. The Tigers, how good they were, they were in the, in the neighborhood, even when they were struggling under 500 in June, they started heating up a little bit. They were as close as two back as of August 15th. August they were 15th. they were tied for first in yeah. late August, I thought. Yeah, they no, they ended up being tied for first on Saturday, August twenty fourth, and they went the in. Jays. Yeah, and they they swept. They had a, they had a three game sweep of Seattle. And here's the thing: this is it, but here's where the Tigers always shot themselves in the foot when they went out to the West Coast. <laughs> it still goes on. Yeah, let me. You know what, you, Chris? Where is the place the Tigers always always stink it up? In the West Coast. Well, the Angels, it seems like to me, yeah, but also the Mariners. But yeah, it's the it's it's the Angels. I looked it up when we were doing we were doing a show last year. There was one point where the Tigers were like two and twenty one, or some ridiculous amount of stretch against in L.A. against California. They won the first game five to one, and they would end up losing the next four. They got lost two to California. It was Chuck Finley and Jim Abbott just outdoing mm-hmm. Sarudi and Gullickson. And then they got swept, or they took lost two out of three to Oakland, and that's where it kind of went uh, tail from there. And then they just never recovered from there. But if you imagine if they were to took at least one or two more in that Cal, it, that Cal, every time they go to Anaheim, they always struggle. It's so weird. But that's mm-hmm. where the pitching. You could think maybe a fresh arm would have helped them, but they weren't getting any help. They didn't get. They didn't make any trades. They was in terms of even just what kind of what they were able to get and they get no, no, no help the minor leagues. No, Kevin Rich wasn't helping them. Steve Searcy wasn't helping them. So every pitcher they brought up wasn't able to do anything. And this is, I mean, they traded Jeff Robinson, who was a decent, well, decent start, but to get the production they got out of Mickey Telton. Also, by the way, you know what? The answer to Matt's question, Tori Louval was traded in March 19th of that season. So he oh, wasn't, yeah, he wasn't the, too the, far off. The love fest officially ended in 1991. There you go. Exactly. And Steve Searcy was so bad. I mean, they were sick of him not doing anything drafted. They draft. They dropped him in July. And this is the draft too, by the way. If you're talking about for draft heads out there, this was the, the 1991 draft produced Justin Thompson, who we all know that would become, become a synonymous among the Tigers trade later on for the, the Rangers. He also had Sean Bergman. You know, say what you will about that. And yeah, they just didn't. They were so close, Chris. But the, it was just pitching. And it was a, it was a common theme in. I know that was the part that was maddening to me, Chris. It's just going out there and then coughing up the runs, like you were saying. Yeah, you know, I was looking at there. So they they kind of fell apart down in, in September, like you mentioned, and losing Henneman seemed to be a big deal because they they were only outscored by one run in September, but yeah. they went fourteen and eighteen. So just like they must have lost a, a bunch of close games, and, and yeah, that's a bummer. I mean, you kind of 
it was an older team at that time. And I think, I, I don't remember the 91 Blue Jays all that well. The Blue Jays were really big rivals with the Tigers for four or five years there. And, uh, but you have to assume that that was part of the, the up and coming Blue Jays team that ended up winning two straight World Series. So they, they were on their way up and the Tigers were kind of having that, that last gasp, even though they had some interesting new players. They were all like in their early 30s. And I'm glad you bring up the Jays because I, I wanted to demonstrate the old versus new. And the Blue mm-hmm. Jays, in terms of how they're building their squad, they were, as an expansion team, you know, under Pat Gill, like they were, they were always built through the farm. They did a really good job of getting players and, and, and identifying talent. And this is the Cito Gas. They end up winning the East that year, but they would lose the Twins in the LCS. But talk about the staff right here. This is the difference between them and the Tigers. Todd Stallmeyer was their ace. Jimmy Key, lefty, who was absolutely monstrous against the Tigers. David Wells. Juan Guzman coming into his own. And former knuckleballer Tom Cadiotti. Cad- or, am I saying that right? Tom um, Cadiotti. Yeah, Tom, yeah, yeah, Tom Cadiotti. And they had a bullpen. I mean, they, they Mike, Tom Henke, Mike Timlin, and Dwayne Ward. What more do you need? That's a pretty badass bullpen for the – and this is a bullpen, Chris. Those two arms, by the way, I mentioned Timlin and Ward threw over 100 innings. Can you imagine a bullpen arm with two arms? Two arms with 100 innings? And then Timlin threw for, like, another 20 years. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was uh, – yeah, that was just a, a better, more well-rounded team. They, their offense wasn't – as good as the Tigers by any stretch of the imagination, but they had enough pop with, uh, with Joe Carter, Kevin White. I always loved him in the field. Roberto Devon Alomar. White, De- Roberto Alomar. Yeah, young Roberto Alomar, young John Olerud. Yeah. It was. Uh, they had uh, Kelly Gruber. Kelly Gruber. Devon White was part of that squad too. Joe sure. Carter, of course, in right field. Pat Borders. They, I mean, even guys like you, guys at Kenny Manilaro. I remember him and. For whatever reason, I always remember him and Ed Sprague came to me. I don't know why I remember Ed Sprague randomly, but but yeah, those are that's that's a, that was a big difference right there. They they got more modern. They had a five man rotation. The Tigers were still spinning away at four, and there was some things. Right, that I, I had completely forgotten about Juan Guzman. Yeah, he got a lot of money from the Orioles, and then he, I mean, he was he was good for maybe yeah. a couple seasons. So and then he just kind of tailed away. So. But yeah, um, so question wise, Chris, we we had some questions this week. Let's let's, let's jump into the questions. Yeah. Well, yeah, I hope that people, if they remember the Tigers, they enjoy that. If not, it yeah, was, uh, hopefully, like them. but um, yeah, our buddy Zeke Jennings had a, a couple questions. Um, and this goes back to the one thing where we were talking with Brandon about, uh, you know, how much can we possibly expect from their new pitching coach, Chris Better? And we kind of hope that he'll he'll fix everybody, but there's you know there's only so much you can do. But he said. Uh, I'll give you one. In terms of Boyd, Fulmer, and Jimenez, what do you think Fetter brings to the table that might help any or all of the three? In terms of just Boyd and Jimenez, which of the two will benefit the most from his presence? Um, now, I have some specific thoughts on this that I, I wrote down, uh, but I don't know if you have anything you want to say off the cuff. Or... No, go, go for it. Uh, so I, I was listening to, the other night, I listened to a Chris Fetter podcast. He was on the Rap Soto podcast. Uh, <laughs> um if you had any doubts that, that Chris Vetter was a huge like pitch design nerd, he's on the Rap Soto podcast. Uh, and I also remember reading uh, Cody Stavenhagen wrote a really nice piece about him for The Athletic. And these are both when he was still with Michigan. And it seems like his main strength is just looking at what pitchers throw now and figuring out a way to maximize their potential. Basically saying, this pitch isn't working for you. We can change it or we can move to something else. 
Um, and so his process is basically he has guys go, go in and do a couple sessions, get their baseline for what they're throwing, the you know, spin rates, the break, all that stuff. And then they look at it and see how they can work on it. And then they, you know, compare it later. It's, it's very much a sort of scientifically based process uh, to, to being a pitching coach, which is refreshing for me to hear. And it's a whole lot of what that, you know, the MVP machine book is about, is about actually applying science to the baseball things. And, and by science, you just mean like, hey, we're measuring this and we're keeping track of how better, how, how it's getting better or worse, rather than just going like, hey, you know, get out there and uh, get over the rubber and stay on your front half. And like, you know, all the things that pitching coaches really dismiss, you know, pitching coaches and, and, and scouting and, and experience. But this is a guy who, really digs into the data. Um, realistically, I don't think he can do a whole lot for Matthew Boyd because Matthew Boyd is the exact same type of guy. Uh, I don't think Fetter's going to show Matthew Boyd anything that he doesn't already know. Matthew Boyd was also on the Rep Soto podcast once. Um, so there, there are not a ton of pitchers who are more into this stuff than Matthew Boyd. I, I think, if anything, Fetter might be able to help him get kind of a more consistent release point. I think uh, one of the things that, that popped up last year people looked at is that Boyd's arm seemed to drop when he was throwing a slider so maybe they can work on that uh, Michael Fulmer's issues and he wrote that story about him it, it was just basically related to velocity and command his velocity was down about two miles an hour across the board and he, he wasn't putting the pitches where he needed him to be um, some of that is probably just him coming back from Tommy John surgery and hopefully it'll get a little bit better he had to alter his mechanics a little bit to put less stress on his his knee um, I think maybe one way that the that better could help him is, is to try to get a little bit more separation in his pitches. And he's basically a, a fastball or slider. Uh, I think I've got, he also throws a sinker, but we'll call him the both. But but the fastball and the sinker are both 93. The slider was 88 and the changeup's 87. So there's not a whole lot of a lot of hard or, or, or soft stuff in there and not a whole lot of difference. He's thrown some curveballs, and we've talked about, like, hey, you know, what if he becomes more of a four-seam curveball guy rather than a sinker-slider guy? I mean, that's kind of a completely completely change in his, his, you know, what he throws. But I could see better getting him to try something like that. I don't expect it, but it's the sort of thing you could see. But I, I really don't know. I mean, I don't know. Fulmer was good as a sinker-slider guy when he was healthy and throwing hard. So he's either going to have to get back to that or they're going to have to figure out a way to, to change him. Um, I think the guy with the, the best chance to improve under Fetter is probably Joe Jimenez because I think he has the most to work with just from the baseline. Jimenez has – his fastball has just about everything you want. It's, he's got above average velocity. I mean, it's kind of close to average-ish now. It's like 95, but that's, you know, that's average now for relievers. But he's got great extension – so the, the perceived velocity velocity perceived, perceived velocity is better, and he's got really high spin rate. So those are the three things, like, that's good to have. That's a good fastball, but it's always getting crushed for some reason. And I don't know if it's because his slider doesn't look like his fastball out of the hand. It's easy to pick him apart. Uh, or if maybe he needs to scrap a slider altogether and maybe try to get – it seems like he needs something that looks more like his fastball for longer to get people off it. Um, so I don't know if it means throwing like a slurve, something with a little more hump to it, uh, or maybe just trying to figure out a way to tighten up, make the slider harder. So instead of being like 86, it's more like 88. 
or 90, something like maybe a little shorter slider with some cut action. More like I a don't 10, know. But... More of like a 10-4 <laughs> action then, comparatively speaking? Well, 10-4, good buddy. Uh, yeah, something like, <laughs> I mean, his slider is, is I mean, that would be more like a slurve, I guess. But, um, yeah, something. I, I just feel like there there's something there that they can figure out with him where they can give him a more consistent secondary offer. It might just be sticking with the changeup more. Uh, but but I feel like with his fastball, he's got that baseline that 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 uh, Federer's looking for. That they can really build off that, and they can find something that can tunnel with the the fastball, or at least something that plays off of it well to, to really maximize his arsenal. I don't know. I mean, I'm not super high on Joe Jimenez, but like I said, there, there's something there to work with. So I think of those three, I think he's the one who's most likely to benefit from Chris Fetter. Yeah, because, I mean, I think Jimenez has got that really good extension, Chris, and if they can find a way to, on his release point, maybe it's just changing something on his release point or coming off a certain way because sometimes it feels like, and looking at now more intelligently, maybe when he's opening up his and his delivery, when he gets that arm rung, it that – that's even his slider looks completely different than what we saw in the minor leagues. His slider was darting all over the place when we saw him at West Michigan, and then later I think we saw him. We seem probably saw him somewhere else, but anyway, something perhaps maybe in his release point where and they could just figure that out. But in terms of you, you mentioned in, in something that you've been in terms of Fetter's work, you you've been talking about what he did with Tommy Henry and Jeff Criswell and, and Carl Kaufman. So this is. He's built out Michigan's base as a result for the pitching. I mean, in terms of like the run they've had in the last, you haven't seen anything like this since the '80s. So, mm-hmm. to me, whatever he decides to do, I'm sure it'll be fine. And and the only thing I can say off the cuff, because your your piece on Motor City Bengals was well was well done, and it, it explained a lot. And it was it, it explained something very complicated, because I still have a problem with it sometimes trying to explain something very hard high level to just make it kind of more common sense, you know, and you did it pretty well where it's like, well, you know, crap, I, I know you're saying, I, I think that for me, it, we, the one thing I want to have fans, ex, you know, he's not going to solve everything, mm-hmm. but I think, I mean, in terms of what we've seen from Rick Anderson, no knock on Rick Anderson who has been a pitching coach for a long time, but I mean, he's not going to go out there and go. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I, I just think that, that, Better when something goes wrong, Feder will have a better understanding of why than maybe Rick Anderson did. Or, you know, they'll be able to say, hey, this is what happened in the fifth inning. Your arm dropped. Um, you know, and that's that's something that, that they probably would uh, notice in film and stuff like that anyway. I just, I just, I mean, there's a reason that so many other teams were after Feder, including like the Yankees and the Diamondbacks. Like, they, he was highly respected in the game. And he's a really good pitching coach, and the Tigers really got a good one. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, but like you said, there's only so much a pitching coach can do. He's not out there throwing the ball. Um, he's not gonna. I think I said in my article, he's not gonna turn Fulmer into Roy Halladay. But if you can improve, just say you improve a pitch five percent. I mean, that's that's a lot. One percent, you, you could even mean the difference between you know sticking in rotation and having to move to the bullpen. So. I trust that he's going to work hard and he's going to do the best he can. And he's got some really interesting pitchers to work with. I'd, li- I'd love to talk to him to see what he's going to do with Spencer Turnbull because his pitches go all over the place. And uh, I don't know, it'd be fun to, to work with that. But uh, so, 
this is uh, Mr. Joe Dexter has been following along with us, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And he asked of, of all the recent non-tender players, which is the best fit and which is most realistic fit for the Tigers. We kind of touched on that earlier, right? But I don't yeah. know if we want to double back to that. Yeah, go for and it. I, yeah. I, I, I had said, I think the best fit is David Dahl. Uh, I mentioned that earlier. I just think he fits what the Tigers need. He fits if he works out that he fits for the next three years. Um, but I don't, I think he's going to have a lot of options and he's like an Alabama kid. So it wouldn't shock me if he ends up on the Braves or maybe the Astros or something like that. I think the best fit might be Eddie Rosario for the reasons you said earlier. I mean, he's got a power he, and he's a hitter that the Tigers seem to like. So those are the, uh, and I mentioned, you know, Casale earlier too. I think he would be a good fit for the Tigers, but, but uh, yeah, that's, that's what I have for those. I have, so I mentioned earlier, I had, I mentioned the AJ Cole mention. I mentioned him. I mentioned also uh, Dahl. I was a big fan of Bradley Rosario. I mean Rosario still to me is the, the clubhouse favorite for me. I, I, and Kyle Schwarber is good. I know people want Kyle Schwarber, but I, I doubt. I saw the rumor, but of course the Yankees are always rumored. Everybody, it's always the chaos. The Yankees this, Yankees that. So, but I, I like Schwarber, but I don't know. I'd rather go with Rosario, but continue on. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like I like Schwarber's. He walks and he hits for power. And, right. And that's nice, but but yeah, I don't know. I mean, any realistically, any of these guys can fit if they can play Major League Baseball. Yeah. And then let's see. We had a question from Field Diamond. What are the most likely free agent signings for the Tigers in twenty twenty one? That's the uh, that's the billion dollar question, isn't it? Um, you know, much to be right about. Know, hey, Colton Wong or George Springer and stuff like that. I don't think we all expect that to happen. We just kind of like, hey, wouldn't it be fun? And this is what it would look like. Um, we touched on, it wouldn't shock me at all if we see like Crone or Scope back because they still need people at those positions, basically. Um, I I think, uh, and, and you touched, talked earlier, I think they're going to go after a, a veteran pitcher or two Although I don't think necessarily it's going to be a big name. I think it might be like a reclamation project like Jimmy Nelson or Michael Waka or or just like a, a really uninspiring innings eater type. I talked about that earlier. They're going to need somebody eight innings. So someone like Tommy Malone or Homer Bailey, just somebody they can get for $3 million. Um, I'd love to be more optimistic about it, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's, they're going to – do this one year thing for one more year, if I, you know, not not go any long term deals with guys that who can be a part of the future. Yeah, I mean, you know, Homer Bailey's <laughs> name. I forgot. I forgot he even was even. That's a name we haven't really touched. I mean, I haven't touched. He on barely anymore. pitched this year. He was with the, the Royals in twenty nineteen. I don't remember where he was this year. He barely pitched, but he's a guy out there looking like you know American Psycho pitching. <laughs> Got two no hitters. It's kind of like that face yeah um in terms of uh, in terms of free agent yeah there's <sighs> honestly field diamond i wish i had a better answer than but i mean <laughs> I, 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 you know what they were rumored to be involved with uh walker yeah taiwan walker yeah taiwan walker who which I would love. be nice i would like that oh i love that a lot i mean he would be he'd be perfect he would, a guy who is under 30 years old you'd sign him for two years shores up that rotation quite a bit and his numbers were getting better when he was in mm-hmm. Toronto. He was originally signed by Seattle and then got traded to Toronto or the other way around. I 
No, he, he was signed by Seattle, traded to Arizona. No, no, I meant like this year. I meant this year. Was he traded from yeah, Seattle? This year? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think he was re-signed in Seattle. And then, yeah, they traded him to Toronto in the middle of the year. Yeah. It was a, a, uh, the, the... Toronto added him and Robbie Ray and, and yeah. Sorry. That's okay. No, yeah, Walker, yeah, Walker Walker would be, to me, Walker would be my number one choice right now, This the fill up the rotation. Uh, let's see. The, the one other question we had uh, was was regarding minor leagues. It was uh, from Jay that I read that West Michigan will be the high A affiliate, assuming Lakeland will be the low A and Toledo will remain triple A. Any word on location of the Tigers double A affiliate? So I, nothing has been officially announced. Right. We're assuming. I mean, it's been heavily hinted that the Midwest League and the, the is going to flip to high A and right. the Florida State League is going to become low A. We assume that's going to happen. But like we said, nothing official. Um I haven't heard anything about Erie of their souvenir shop that was recently renovated or whatever. And there are just tons and tons of Tarek Scooble jerseys in there. That might not mean anything, you know, things can change quickly, but I feel like Erie is going to stick in the organization, the double A. Yeah. It seems to me that the, the team that's out of luck is probably Connecticut or Norwich or whatever. I feel like they're, but then, you know, they weren't one, one of the five teams involved in this new Woodbat league. So I don't really know what's going to happen there, but I think Erie's going to stick around for a while. We'll see. We've, we've talked before about how cool it would be for us personally, if they move to Lansing or Midland, oh, that'd be something so like that. Uh, Cause Lan yeah, Lansing would be ideal. It's half an hour from my house and, uh, and Jesse Goldberg, Strasburg or whatever. He's good people. He's good people, and that lemonade, that right. lemonade ball idea they did over summer was fantastic. Yeah. That was really well done. I like seeing those. The, the that yellow ball was kind of stands out a little bit. Um, yeah, Jay. I mean, and Patrick O'Kennedy from Bless You Boys answered the question too. So thanks, Patrick. Patrick's a good dude over at oh, Bless You Boys. Yeah. And I don't. I, I see Erie lining it up in terms of even. I mean, there's to me. You look at it now with West Michigan being high A. That's just for. Of, of course, unofficially, of course, that would be, just benefit everybody who loves minor league baseball. You get to see the Riley Greens of the world. You get to see the higher caliber. And for people who live in Lakeland, I mean, Lakeland, you're going to get the same effect, though. No home runs are going to get hit out of either one. I mean, it's not going to well, change much, is it, Chris? <laughs> it will be interesting to see how that, because, yeah, both of them are, are heavily defensive, like the leagues that favor pitching. Right. Um, it would be interesting. We, we've talked before a long time about how you can't trust college pitchers in the Midwest League because they, especially one lefties with changeups, because they just go out there and, and, and power people up. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, you wouldn't think that the the run factors would change that much, but I don't, it, it makes sense because it's the first full season minor league level, and you're going to be right there at the basically Tigers Academy or whatever you want to call it, the headquarters, Joker Margent. So. Um, and West Michigan Whitecaps fans will get to see if if this does come to pass, which we think it is, they'll get to see a bunch of the players they had last year. And like you said, probably including Riley Green, although who knows, maybe they'll send them right to double A Lansing. Yeah, well, yeah, or or you know, yeah, it'd be awesome. Yeah, West Michigan and Lansing right there. Yeah. I mean it we'll see what happens, but I it's to me it is exciting that we can actually probably start talking about it. And and hopefully there's an announcement. Sooner or later, but I guess there, there, there's a hang up. I think it'll be this. 
Tomorrow, well, I guess today's think? Thursday, isn't it? So, yeah. yeah, maybe this weekend. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I know the Fresno is pissed off right now. Staten Island just is about to sue. So there's some hangups right there. So Fresno, I saw uh, something on Twitter that I got sent, and there's a hangup. Fresno, the, the most populous city in the United States that isn't on a major interstate. Really? Yeah. That's a fun fact. I did not know that. Was there any other? Was there? We end the show on that fun fact. Was there any other questions I'm thinking of? Uh, Those are all the ones I saw on Twitter. I apologize if if somebody else asked a question and I missed it. I was checking. That was from my retweet. I don't know if anybody asked questions on the original tweet. But I don't know. We're like a, we're at an hour and a half. So yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. It's definitely a uh, time. For I don't know us. if anybody's even still with us, but I appreciate anybody coming to, to watch us and. and Ask us questions. That's we, fun. We got about ten. We have ten people watching us right now. So for the first time, I, I feel like we might have ten people who left it on. They're probably making grilled cheese or watching <laughs> the Crown or something. Dude, watch the Crown. Uh, um, speaking right. of, you know, the Crown or yeah, if you're watching the Crown, the now the new season with, look, we we talked about this privately, but Gillian Anderson playing Margaret Thatcher still is it's a mind bleep to me because yeah. she's very very attractive and she's playing. Well, that's, a, a woman yeah. that's a woman that's not viewed as in some circles in Britain as just was not well liked. In other words, well, I mean, some people loved her. Yeah. Some people hate her. Yeah. But no, that's the. Uh, have you ever seen that Jim Jeffries uh, stand-up special where he's talking about a hot privilege? Yeah. <laughs> and about how like yeah, attractive people just they get uglied up for movies, and it's not fair to the ugly people. <laughs> And it's definitely it's definitely the case with Gillian Anderson, who, by the way, it was weird. It was every interview growing up. I'd never seen her do an English accent. I didn't even know she was from England, or I think she's Irish. I believe. I, well, no, I mean, I think she's from Michigan, isn't she? she yeah, she's an army brat. Yeah. Oh, uh, by the um, way, no. we do. We, we... Yeah. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> I I uh, I love her in. I think I told you in the show Sex Education, which is one of my favorite Netflix shows. Um, she plays a, a sex doctor with an awkward teenage son, and it's really funny and, and good. But yeah, that's uh, I gotta check that out. So, all right, thank you so much for listening to our first broadcast. If you liked it, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Follow us on Twitter at Rodcast Baseball now that I changed the name because I've been doing so different things. Rodcast eighty one is uh, Dan Hasey said to me is dead, and then you can follow Chris Brown at Chris Brown oh nine one four. And look for our content, too, at Motor City Bengals. Check out the latest great article by Chris at MotorCityBengals.com about pitch design and how that works and how Chris Fetter is going to make the Tigers better in that regard. If you like the show, if you like the way we do in live, we'll do this every Thursday if you like, um, if we're all camera shy, what have you. And so for that, we'll see you next week. The podcast will be dropping tomorrow. And until then, have a good week, everybody. Look at that. Hold on, I'm going to end it. That went pretty good, dude. Yeah. I, I, nice that uh, people actually came and showed up. Right. Yeah. You know what? You know what was interesting? I did not. Neither one of us did our, like, word stuff. You know how we do our word crutches? It, I noticed that. Or, or, oh. 
like you know how we say you yeah. know and whatever. I didn't I didn't say um a lot either. I think it was because I was aware that I'm on camera. I don't know what it was, but I felt like I didn't. I don't know. It was strange. I didn't notice. I, I assumed that I did, but maybe I didn't. That's no, you, yeah, you, both of us really didn't make any. Um... I wonder if just being looking at somebody automatically takes those away because you're kind of, you're, you're less in your head and more. I agree. I, by the way, we had 433 viewers. In 33 steel? In 33 steel. Let me, let me show that to you. Um, let me see. I tweeted. Uh, I I reshared it on Motor City Bangles, which kind of helped us. But let me let me send you that. Um, and thirty two steel. Yeah, people. Uh, people dug it, man. So I'm glad. He stopped right. the audition. So yeah, 